Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lees with another episode of the Serpent Sales Podcast brought to you by the Salesforce for Sales Group, Outreach, Reggie.ai, and Vidyard. These are the tools we like. Um, we promote them because they are very kind to us, and we know that they help everybody drive their revenue through the end of 2021, into 2022, and further into the future. Um, with that being all said, and take Gone through, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, who is the CEO and co-founder of DemoStack, Jonathan Friedman. Jonathan, nice to meet you. And, and do you go by John or Jonathan? What do you, what do you uh, prefer? Jonathan, usually uh, people shortcut it all, all the time. So whatever okay. works for you, but John, Jonathan usually, yeah. Okay. And what, what is your middle name in case we need to, in case you need trouble <laughs> on the podcast, right? <laughs> right? I can give it, but then you can uh, hack into my bank account and stuff. Right. So... Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, well, you got you and you and Scott know each other. So, Scott, you know, tell me how Jonathan got here because I, you know, Jonathan and I just met. Well, the how we got here is I've been messaging Jonathan back and forth for over a year, probably, <laughs> and then he would message me and back and forth and and whatnot. So it's been a long time coming. So I'm excited to uh, excited to have Jonathan here. So um, why don't you tell everybody first of all? what demo stack is and what, what, it, what it's all about for anybody who doesn't, doesn't know. Sure. Um, so demo stack is a uh, demo experience platform. And that means that we help uh, companies create demos that help them win deals. Uh, usually the demo environment is, uh, it's kind of the, the weird thing they keep in the closet, but they use it for demoing. It's usually some, something someone built a while ago. That's Acme or the Pied Piper kind of thing. It's always rickety working kind of, but actually most people see it. And uh, DemoStack just uh, provides essentially the perfect demo environment. It, it takes away all the, all the technical constraints there are, unless you present your, your, your product in a clear, assistant manner, works over the time, share it, get analytics, um, and share the beauty of your product, help you connect the beauty of your product and essentially win deals with, 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 with a great demo environment. Um, that's in a, a really in a nutshell, of course, we can double click into anything here. What are, what are some of the things that kind of universally sellers are, are doing wrong in their, in their demos? So right now, I think the state of demoing, it's, you know, so a, a demo, to, to, I always say that the demoing is a, an intimate moment. Um, because you know, there's there's a lot of uh, song and dance in, in the outside, in the outskirts of it, right? You can go to see my website, maybe you see a deck, all that stuff. That's all nice. But when I come and you know we're on a meeting together and it's live and I'm kind of sharing my screen, I'm showing you the demo. The demo is a very intimate moment because I'm I'm showing you what the product is about, and trying to walk you in an experience of what it will mean to use it. Uh, now, everyone that ever built any product knows it's really, really hard. You need a lot of talented people working a lot of time uh, together, and still some products are not good, right? So only, you know, it's, uh, not, it's very hard to fake. It's a very distinct and real signal, and you can discount my, my deck, and you can discount my song and dance, and, you know, telling you how much customers love, love us, etc. But when I show you a demo and you can imagine yourself using it and it talks about your use case, your problems, your everything, it's, it's magic. It's magic. And that's when deals are won. That, that's the part I, I love is that you have to talk about their use case, right? Every sales conversation is about their use case, right? Even when you get past the use cases, they said yes. 
guess what? You still have to go through the use case of the process on both sides. I'm going through that with a big company right now. It's a major pain. What are the, what are the mistakes people are making though? Like if you sat back and you watched the sales rep make a demo, right? Even with, you know, without demo stack, like what are you seeing them do wrong the most these days? Right. So there's a lot of about harbor, harbor tours and like, look, my product, there's this, there's that, you know, and you're on a tour uh, looking to the right, looking to the left uh, and kind of seeing a lot of interesting things. Uh, but uh, to me, a, a, a demo is a product story. That's the middle of it. And if, if, if people usually don't hit the product story, the product narrative, uh, or even you can even flip it aside and say that the problem narrative, right? So a customer comes usually with a pain, else they're not usually not even motivated enough to go and see a demo of yours. It requires a cognitive load to see a product, digest it, and learn it. So usually you come with a pain, and therefore there's a narrative. And humans, humans, they're powered by narrative. They're powered by stories. And if you just uh, go technical on them, show them a bunch of things, and you don't um, close in and hone in the narrative, so I would say that's the, probably the most major mistake. And a lot of times it's not because AEs or reps or whoever is demoing is not good. Um, it's all times it's constrained. There are technical constraints. Like I'd love to show you, but I can't. It's amazing here, but you know, so there's a lot of technical constraints because of how demo environments are structured. And it's also, uh, it's also a bit of education on what it means to tell a product narrative, a product story and how to communicate that well. Um, and I think, I think that can be improved because if you sit in a demo and you're not, you can't regurgitate the story, everyone can't really tell, okay, what did we see in, in, in a minute? Uh, then you're doing something wrong, and it, and people will forget the features. They'll remember a narrative. So that, it's interesting. I've been I've been telling people this for a long time, and I, and I learned it from a rep. You know, is that a demo is not product training. So often I've seen demos, and it's like they're trying to show you sixty thousand clicks. You know, um, and it's a massive like, and you just see the customer glaze over. You know, um, one thing I'm curious to you to, to to your thoughts on this too because I, I get this all the time. People come in expecting the demo, so the reps feel rushed to do the demo. However, I I'm a big proponent of hey, before we do the demo, can we just take ten minutes so I understand what to show you? Like you got to do a little bit of qualifying before the demo. So is that what you see better reps doing? Um, do you think that qualifying of the demo or pre-discussion of the demo should be a separate conversation, the same conversation. How do you, how do you keep, cause you're, you're, you're trying to paint that picture, right? Like what do you see are our best practices there? So there's, there's, there's a lot of thought on this subject and, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can open a PLG door and there's a lot of thought there. That's like the, 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 the buzzword of, of, of this, I think era, especially if you go to, you went to Saster this year it was all about PLG and what it means. But I, th I think that the right thing here, so there's a lot of data on the, on the mismatch. When a prospect comes on a call, the first thing they want to they want to go get to is a demo. When you get uh, when the, the first thing a, a, a rep wants to get to is the is the discovery uh, such qualification. So it, it's a kind of it's, it's a kind of game where the the the, the interests are, are mismatched, but it doesn't have to be. I think you know more and more as as kind of things progress. Um, New generations have less of an attention span. Things are more condensed, right? Like try watching a 1980 movie uh, this year, you know, versus a TikTok thing, right? The, the amount of information per second you get 
it's 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 not even it's not on the same planet and so people will want to see demos earlier and i think you can work with that so you can work and show product and kind of have a narrative where you show vignettes across um across the conversation so it doesn't have to be okay demo now or interest first you know it can be like here's a vignette here's how it would look in your site what what if you could actually show a demo even before the conversation and kind of give a, a, a glance of what their product would look like their sorry problem would look like in your product how, how what if you could com compress that and kind of push the the the, the, the product visuals earlier uh, so I, i'm a true believer that that you should because things are changing people are less and less want to go and get on the phone hear a big pitch they want to discover they're used to digital tools uh, they value good tools because they you know they grew up on facebook and tiktok and then you know the best tools out there that are ui machines um, so they want to try it and they feel that they can. So I think you need to compress the demo up. You can't have it like five minute, five meetings, and then I'll show you. Uh, but, but you can't also rush things and not explain it, but you just have to find where your prospect sits and find the right amount of demo content to show in each and every stage. I think that's super good, good advice. And one of the things that I have seen over the years is people have no plan other than the first demo. So they don't know what a second demo looks like other than to redo the first one, right. let alone a third, fourth, or a fifth. And it was really interesting what you what you said there about how that you pick different bits for each kind of step of it and, and, and break it up and push some of them forward. Do you do you find that do you find that the the organizations who are running the best demos like have this structured? Like, okay, on our very first demo this is what we're going to cover on the second demo. When we redo it for other people in the org, we go this route. Do you, do you, do you think about it like that? Have you see that succeeding? Yeah. So, so really, I think that the best the orgs, they, they have kind of a, we call it like almost a demo, demo matrix Met, uh, where, where in, in this matrix, they, um, they have, uh, you know, you can have the buyer, so, right? So different buyers. So, right, you show, I don't know, you sell it to finance, right? So maybe uh, you have the user, the accountant, right? So that's a demo. And then their boss, the VP is a demo. And then the CFO needs to sign on that. And that might be different demos with different vantage points. Yeah, yeah. So that's a vertical. And then, of course, industry, right? Maybe uh, you sell to enterprise, mid-market, SMB, and that's different because they're all focused on different things and you have different data in there. So we've uh, left we've left the world behind then where there's, one demo for everyone, one demo fits all. We've become much more specific in how we're, we're showing the, the, the product. Like you said, the CFO gets this kind of demo, the VP of sales gets this kind of demo, right? So what is the ideal demo length then? How much information should we be trying to, you know, slam down, down people's throats? Are we looking at 30 minutes, 60 minutes? I don't know about you, Richard, but I, I have been on, demo phone calls before that have gone on for two hours. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think some of that has to do with the technological aspect of what you're doing, right? Like I can yeah, see and the engagement of the prospect yeah. and so forth, but I want to know what Jonathan thinks about what's the yeah. ideal length, especially if you're kind of designating different types of demos in this multiple stage thing, how long do you think these things should be? What's everybody's attention span? I don't think two hours, two hours is, is product training, uh, I think. You know, so it, might, it might be if someone is deep, 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 deep trial and they go in and you need to help them, you know, get there. And 
So obviously that, that, that's too long. And obviously I would say five minute demo doesn't show anything in depth. I think five minute demo could be good for like, here's what we're doing and super brief. Like, tell us about your problem. You know, that's, that's good to start a conversation. Uh, we've seen, you know, uh, ideal demos depends on length, products, there's a bunch of things, but, uh, you know, it, it, depend, it depends really where you are in the chain. I, I, I see how a five minute demo can be well. I think a deep demo, deep dive that, that again, doesn't go too deep as, you know, 20 to 25 minutes is usually ideal to show most products. But I've seen definitely demos go beyond it. Not, not a lot being two hours, though. I haven't seen two hours. Uh, that's not defined as training. Um, yeah. Also, demos, you know, you also, we're only obviously we're here thinking about the sales um, aspect of it. But there are different demos. You can do a demo for a webinar. You can do a demo when you talk to Gartner and you want to get into... Uh, you know, be ranked somewhere on, on, on every, somewhere. You can do a demo uh, for prospects. Like we love doing demo for our prospects, uh, for uh, candidates. You know that, that we want to have join because we think that you should see the you should see the Wait, product. So in the in the recruiting process, right. you're sometimes doing demos of the product. I would say ninety nine percent. I don't think I I I'm trying to say about. I would venture to say ninety nine percent of companies don't do that, Richard. Right. I would right. agree. It's it's funny because I was going to take it to the other. To, the, to that exact area, which is how often have you had a interview process set up and you haven't laid out what each person's gonna do, right? Scott, you're the CRO, Jonathan's the founder, I'm the sales manager. Are we really gonna all ask, so why do you wanna be here? What do you like about our company? <laughs> like, like, oh, I mean, we, right? Like they, you know, so it's, it's, it's the same philosophy, right? Like is that, and you even have to sort of think from an HR perspective, you are demoing to your prospect, to your candidate, right? Because they got to choose from three other competitors for you. So I, I completely, completely agree. What, um, when, what do you do in a demo when, you know, Scott's eyes start to glaze over? You're five minutes into the demo. And Scott's and every, like, oh and, my and God. And every answer is, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you because because i think this is a problem like i think we all are taught to do this we're taught to tell the story we're taught to tell this narrative we're so busy trying to hit everything in the demo that maybe we aren't paying enough attention to the to our audience right so i'm trying to give people just like you know some some tactics of like oh yeah i should try to do that like what do you do well first the anxiety is is a real thing um again because because showing product is an intimate moment um, it, it's, it's, it's really, you're opening a door, you're showcasing a, par, a part of the heart again, because it's such a pure signal. Uh, products are super hard. It's impossible to fake, right? So people want to get there. So it, it, is, it is a magic moment. And then some people, but some people, um, you know, get like, you know, someone grabs them by the ear and say, okay, this vendor wants to show a demo, come in here. So obviously they're, uh, they, they, they might come and they're like, they're on Facebook or they're on, on worst case scenario, maybe they're, they're on Slack, but even, you know. That's, that's Scott. Nothing. Scott's on Facebook all the fucking time. I can never get him off. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, right. looking at it right now. <laughs> it's not yeah. working today. So yeah, I'm sure we have an intention today for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it depends on the rep, right? Some rep are people really good on, on people management and they, you know, you can scream Bit Bitcoin in the middle and be like, oh, just want to make sure everyone has attention, maybe crack it or it's cracking out a different joke in there and just do that. Yeah. On, the, on the demo level, um, you know, you might ask the person most glazing over, like, what are your thoughts? Is this what you expected? 
um, uh, is, is this, does this answer? But again, if you, if the, the more prep you do in the beginning, meaning here's the three questions I want you to come out with, uh, right? So if you, if you do that with a prospect and you know, like here are the three issues that we identified that you want to solve for this tool. So uh, did we get there? So let's, we went to over issue number one. Um, is, this, is this good? Uh, did it solve what you thought it would solve for you? And then ask a question like that, which is not a yes, no question. So the, if, when, when people get asked a question, they, they are forced into the here and now. Um, so that's, that's, that's a, a trick to kind of get them in. Um, if they're not friendly, not engaged, it might be that there's no, you know, they're, they're, they might be completely out of it. And, you know, sometimes I don't think you can solve all of it with these kind of tips and tricks. Uh, but I think asking, asking a question that kind of engages them back is your best bet. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and it sort of leads, I'm going to set you up for this one. See if you see if you know this one, because it's one thing I've been teaching for a long time is, do you know the single worst question to ask your customer or prospect in a demo? What do you think it is? Um, I, I uh, don't know. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to trip you up. It's just something right. I talk about. So it's, it's not, I don't know either for what it's worth, Jonathan, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm waiting to see what he says. It's, it's, it's quite simply this, this terrible question of, does that make sense? <laughs> Cause it's the worst question. You get no real answer and you just get, as Scott said, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, to your point, it goes back to what you were saying is how does this compare to what you're currently doing? Right. Um, what are we missing so far? What do you want to see? Like, to your point of how do I get them to re-engage, you, you, you get them by asking that open-ended question. When you ask that question that's closed-ended, you're actually pushing them away. When you say, does that make sense? That's not drawing them into this intimate conversation, which I really like what you said earlier. It's like a demo is an intimate conversation between two people to solve a pain. So, um, so I, I really like that. What, um, what do you think, do, do you think the you know, to your point, you sort of said, hey, we need to compress the time we're doing in these demos. How do you see the value of the explainer video demo and an actual demo? Like, you know, do you have both? Like you said, there's different kinds of demos. Like, do you like having both of those things? How do you see that? So, so think about for most products, um, you, you there, there is a there's a there's a wall of indifference, right? The, the main thing you have to overcome is indifference, uh, right? You, uh, you, uh, Scott, me, we have a wall of indifference protecting us because there's so much data in the world. If we wouldn't have that huge filter that filters 99.99999% of everything, our head would explode, right? You walk on the streets, just a billboards, will ex your head will explode instantly. So you have to filter out everything. So the, the first thing, you know, if you if you if you're trying to get a prospect force is the you know the the, the stages, the clear stages, the awareness, uh, consideration, right, uh, trial and and, and buying, etc. So for each of these stages, the awareness and the amount of time people want to invest in you um, grows, right? But getting into awareness is is the hardest because you have to go through this massive filter that everyone puts in place, and rightly so, including myself. And so um, there are things there that, that, that are very superficial and just like getting your attention. So you have explainer videos and you can have product tours on, on the website or a link you get uh, from, a, from an SDR or, or stuff like that. That works really well. It's colorful, it's quick, 
I click next, 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 or I just watch a video and I'm, I'm kind of in your, I understand your world. And if, if that's, if that, if that, that passes my filter, that, that, that main nasty filter I have that filters everything, now I can consider it and say like, okay, is it, do I even care? And if I care, then of course I want more time, but then I want more. So the demo also progresses, the fidelity it needs to support each stage grows. You can't do a demo where I show your product tour on a, on a, you know that's on the website. It's too flat. It's I can't show your video, right? I, I don't think you've ever sat in a in a demo, you know, came to see a demo and a vendor would show a video. I've seen it actually once and it was terrible. It's uh, it's not it's it's not the way to do it. Uh, so there's different awareness and different uh, consideration stages, and you need to progress the fidelity to your demo until you know get, they buy, and then you have maximum fidelity demo, which is your product. Uh, so that that product communication, um, you know, increases in fidelity until until you actually get to the finish line, which is giving handing them your product, which is what we sell. What I've found fascinating is there's so much talk and chatter and product focus on filling the funnel and prospecting and all the early steps in the sales process, and so much less conversation about demos now and closing the deal. And yet you founded a company about the back end of the sales process in the middle of all this noise about the front end. Why? I want to know where and why the passion for demo, demo stack and, and, and just solving this problem in general came from. Did you experience this as a seller? So maybe go into your history a little bit about how you how you arrived here and, and what it was like to, in my opinion, at least found a company focused on the opposite of what so much, so much other chatter is, is focused on. Oh, I would say first of all, we, we look at demos from the most holistic perspective where it's really, you can use a demo on the entire aspect of a, of a fund, like a SDR can send you a outbound email and that has a link to a demo. And ideally it's a demo of your product. Your your details in my, in my product where you already like oh my god like you know me and I'm in I, it's just as if I already started using your product all my details are there so you can look at it in everywhere in the funnel there's top of funnel middle funnel bottom of funnel and um, essentially if I if I would need to summarize demo stack we're in the business of product communication we're telling a product story we're helping you tell the product story and that can be all over from marketing sales CSM uh, even executives etc. But my, my, my story actually coming into this is um, I think the first time I saw what a good demo actually means, uh, and that goes by my history, I'm, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career, either a regular entrepreneur or one time I was an entrepreneur in, inside a big company, uh, not even big, I, 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 a $5 billion company, I guess that's fairly big. Um, first time was with my previous company uh, called Reactful, we were in the conversion optimization space, and I would come with a demo that I didn't realize back then, but it was mind blowing. We would come and show you your website and we'd show you how we would change it in the fly. We know without you telling us anything or I would show your website, I would fold it in 3D and show you something behind it and add stuff to your form. And, you, and a lot of people would be like, whoa, how did you do this? And would still remember my demo years after. And actually at that time, I, I was against us investing in a demo environment. My, my co-founder back then, who is again my co-founder here at Demostack, he said, no, we should invest in it. He didn't ask me, he built it and he was absolutely right. I was absolutely wrong. 
I came into the demo uh, issue again at, at uh, TripActions. So I was hired in TripActions to build TripActions Liquid, which is the expense management, uh, essentially part of, uh, or no expense actually part payment, travel payment part of, of TripActions. And there I was building this beautiful product from the ground up. Um, and um, and it, 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 at some point I wanted to start demoing it. And when I was demoing it alone, it was all okay. But quickly, uh, it became impossible. Do I give every rep access to the admin panel? It's a fintech product. So do you give them all the admin access so they can move millions? And if, but if not, I can't demo the admin panel, which is what we're selling to finance teams. But how do we do that? Uh, do we show TripActions' own use of this? Uh, we can't, right? Because it has uh, real data in there. So what, 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 what do we do? And so my instinct and what I told the team, I thought, okay, I'm brilliant. I have an easy solution. Let's do Pipe Piper. They become a customer. We show that. I think I, I had it. I was like, you know, go, go home. Uh, that's what that's I paid the big bucks for. Uh, but actually that didn't solve anything because this Pipe Piper thing is empty and no prospect was like, oh, Pipe Piper, that's me. You know, nobody, nobody felt it, it actually talked to them. It was, we had a few users, but it was all empty. It was so much less nice than showing the real thing with real data, which you can't, of course, because GDPR, CCPA, all that. Um, so we suddenly had this demo environment that, that, that was suck. And my aha moment was my realization that we're building two products. We're building a regular product and we're building liquid in my case, which I love and then nourished and all that. And this kind of side project that was for showcasing that we tried to invest as little as possible, but actually more people saw it more people see your demo environment than ever see your product which is huge and then if you invest a little bit in that and try to do the minimum amount of work because you want your engineering to build features you're stuck in a conundrum and it's always this this this, this gap between product and sales sales want to tell a product story product is building products for customers and that gap when i realized that that was my aha moment and i woke up to the uh, idea that every SaaS company has, should is, is in, probably in this conundrum, and of course, research kind of showcased that as well. It's amazing, Richard. Yeah, I've never thought, I've never had this thought that Jonathan just said. I've never had this thought that more people see your demo than actually use your product. That is interesting. Yeah, that's good. You and think I about can... all the people you're showing the product to who don't buy, don't become customers, right? Yep. Yep. And maybe it, four to one, five to one, you know, it can easily be, you know, plus candidates, plus yeah, investors, sure. plus a yeah. you know, million well, people. Yeah. Right. And I'm just thinking about my, my pipeline. Jonathan's like, yeah, investor pipeline, recruiting pipeline, all this other stuff. It's very true. I've never thought about that before. I'm having an aha moment. I totally agree. Cause I'm sitting here going, oh, I should do some build a training program around that. Right. So, <laughs> cause, cause it's, it's, I mean, to Jonathan's point is that it's, it's all about the conversion. Right. If I can increase my conversion from my demos, what does that do to my drop to my to my revenue? Right. Like it's critical. And yet I don't see anybody giving demo training. Like I don't really see it out there. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting. So Jonathan, I got I got a couple of questions. So one, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you I assume you grew up in the Netherlands before coming to the States. I'm from Israel originally, but I have like a, a huge, a long history with Holland. I lived there as a child, came back to Israel after army service. I went there again to do college. Uh, so overall, I lived so what about you, almost a third of my and, years. And the reason I'm asking and, and I'm fascinated by it is, what do you think is the difference between some of these places in the business environment, right? Selling into America versus selling into Europe, selling into Israel, 
or vice versa, if you're over there and you're trying to sell here, what, what are a couple of things people, maybe, maybe they know it, but they just never sort of um, brought it to the forefront of their mind. What do you see as different? Well, Europe, Europe and, uh, and uh, or is the Netherlands, right? I can talk of all Europe, although, you know, you can kind of combine a little bit of Europe, but Europe and the US are very different places. And Israel is again, a, a third different place. I'm, I'm super happy. I have all the experience of living on all these wonderful places because I learned a lot and opened my mind to how, you know, how you can perceive the world and what you're into it and what, what you're doing. It really, really helps broaden your horizons. Um, you know, it's it, uh, sometimes Europeans, when they see uh, U.S. sellers approach them, they feel they're very aggressive and they're very, um, uh, you know, animated and very uh, talk a lot, but not show substance. So they can discount that a lot. And it's not because the seller is not good. It's just it's just a cultural perception thing. It can be very different. And I think on the, on the flip side, U.S. people can feel like, uh, you know, Europeans are very cold, you know, five or five p.m., everything they drop everything and go home which is true their work-life balance there is a whole different game they value it a lot um and there's just different perceptions right like in europe for example when uh, in, the, in the travel industry where i was you know and, and before like they really care about you know trains for example in the u.s nobody cared about trains so you wouldn't know that not trying to be in europe or they you know a car carbon offset is huge uh, there's something like that in the, in the u.s thinks about it as well but in europe it's like ingrained like if I if I buy a fly, I wanna I wanna do something about it because I realize I'm I'm, I'm taking it all. So there's different huge percep different perceptions in how the world works. I would say Israel somewhere in the middle, probably more skews towards the U.S. Uh, Israelis in general, uh, they have an issue. Uh, it's because they feel like they know U.S. culture because they watch Friends and they watch uh, you know all these shows. They're 100% sure they know U.S. culture. And they come in and they're like, you know, they're, Israel is very buddy-buddy because it's so close and small. It's like the size of New Jersey, right? So you know everyone. I'm two steps away from anyone in Israel, most likely. And they are, they are from me. Uh, from the prime minister to the last, you know, uh, person uh, somewhere. And they come and they're buddy-buddy. They don't understand, you know, when someone in the U.S. tells them, oh, it's interesting. They don't understand it's a no. They really think it's interesting. Uh, or, you know, they come and... You know, their friend works at, uh, or not even a friend, some Israeli guy works as a VP in some company and they call him like, hey, I can solve all your problems. Let me in and I'll, and then, you know, they start up with three people, right? And they're like, they're, they're going to tell them how to run their business. So very, very confident, uh, which comes across one way in Israel, may come across very differently in the US. And actually, because it's, because they know the language and because they watch all the shows, they actually know US culture. And I can tell you, they 100% don't. It, it it's very different. <laughs> I can I can attest to this because I, I have a couple of friends who are Israeli and they there's definitely a sense. And, you know, look, we know not everybody is this way. Like we get it. Like we're not going to overgeneralize. But for a moment, we will. Um, there's definitely the sense of they know how to tell you what to do better than you know what to do. Um, and, you know, you know what you should do is. And uh, <laughs> that was it, very much like what we do for a living, Richard, as a little a little bit. But the, the interesting thing that at least I've experienced is that is that I also think that um, they're saying it from the heart because they care, like they're passionate about it. They, 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 it it's the delivery maybe they don't necessarily understand, which could be said the same for us as we go to Europe. Is it's we care, but our delivery needs to adjust, you know. So um, so it's it's not a slight to to any of those for it, to to our friends from Israel. Um, 
this is this has been great. You know, Jonathan, we're gonna ask you our, our final question is what do you want to ask us? But I want to give a quick shout out to Salesforce for Sales, Vidyard, Reggie.ai, and Outreach. Uh, please check out our sponsors and their tools and services because they will help you achieve what you're trying to do. Um, and by all means, certainly get in touch uh, with Jonathan over at DemoStack. Uh, this this episode has been massively enlightening, at least for me. Um, and I've always known to do better, but I've probably taken it for granted and never researched it enough on how to do better. So I'm um, hoping it drives some people that way. So Jonathan, what, what can we answer for you? Well, I'd love your guys' take on the, you know, PLG uh, movement and all that. Obviously, it's making uh, making a lot of waves faster. You can walk a meter without hearing PLG in some shape or form. I wonder how, how does that impact you, your thinking, your work, and yeah, just your take on it. Scott, you want me to go first or you want to go first? Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was never aware of this uh word or verb or whatever you want to call it till a few i guess maybe a month or two ago when we interviewed was it breezy i think yeah. right yeah breezy from correlated yeah who was talking all about product-led growth and i'm like what's that term like, i had no idea so my problem though is that i agree with it however i have a massive disdain for buzzwords so as soon as i hear PLG or product-led growth, um, you know, it's just the next iteration of somebody's algorithm, right? Or our AI, our version of AI is better than everybody else's version of AI. So I, but I'm biased that way, right? Because I hear these kind of phrases all the time. Um, what is encouraging though, is that people are looking at it as something that, that should be, they should get better at, right? And so for me, that's actually good. Um, and it's, it's nice because a piece of that product-led growth does come down to the individual delivering, right? So there's a difference between PLG of driving an inbound lead and a self-serve revenue model, which is obviously very important um, versus, you know, something where it's, it's more of a platform that you've got to sell and you got to go sell in a multi-threaded environment of, you know, six or eight different people and all that kind of stuff. So it's understanding the nuance behind it, but it is the new buzzword and it is the new, you know, algorithm. I can't even remember what the other, the other one, you know, the other buzzwords we hear all the time. So Scott, you're, you're grinning. You've got that, that devilish grin that I know and recognize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like, and this is potentially and probably not, not accurate at all, but let me tell you how I feel. I feel like the phrase PLG came from product folks complete and utter disdain for salespeople and the absolute heavy lift and cost in order to build a successful sales organization. So I feel like that's where it came from. And so as a sales leader, I obviously don't love hearing that. And so my skin, you know, bristles as soon as, as, soon as I hear it. I think to myself, well, PLG is great until all of a sudden you need a fucking salesperson to actually convert off of these free trials, or as Richard said, this more complicated kind of sales process. So there's a lot of people who do PLG till they get to a million or two in ARR, and all of a sudden they're like, well, fuck, now we need salespeople. And so I guess we're SLG now, and we have to start over. So that's one one other thing, and, and the last point that I'll make is um, 
I just don't like free trials. It's really that simple. I, I, I don't like giving away things for free. I understand that there are plenty of examples and plenty of companies who have done it really, really well for a really long time. HubSpot, for example, as, as one of them. I just don't like it. I, I, I always think to myself, Richard, like, let's say I'm going to go buy a house, right? And I'm going to tell the realtor, you know what? I really like this house. Uh, I'd like to try it out for a month and move all my shit in and, and live there for a month. And uh, if we like it, we'll buy it. And if not, you know, no harm, no foul. So they'd look, I'm gonna push. They'd look at me like I was insane. So that's how I feel when people ask me, hey, can I get a free trial of DemoStack? Can I get a free trial of Qualia? Can I get free? No, I don't want to give you a free trial. I want to talk through things. I'll let you behind the wheel. You can drive the screen, the demo environment right here. So I, 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 I have a uh, adverse reaction, obviously, to PLG type things, Jonathan. Jonathan, what do we got wrong about it? Because we don't, you know, we're, we're also not the people who should be defining PLG. Like, let's be honest, like that's part of our, we can, we can associate with it. But no, we're just, we just have a show. So we're allowed to have uneducated opinions. Right. No, so, uh, you know, I think I, I, I think I always, I'm always also cautious about uh, buzzwords. Uh, you know, we happen to to have caught one and timing, and that's useful for us. And we we talk about it because that's like how people think about stuff. But but you're right. Like AI was five years ago. That was machine learning AI, and you had to say that in your investor pitch and all that. Even if you barely know what you're talking about, I think PLG is being defined. And uh, right now, it's it's a lot of stuff. Um, I think it can easily cannibalize sales if you don't uh, think about it correctly. I think discounting what salespeople do is very dangerous path. Um, you can combine PLG to say also sales, but again, then it's a conversation. What what is it? You know, and we've seen a lot of things that that, uh, that have just gone and into a buzzword that were things that existed before, just weren't kind of defined that way. So I, I got a question for you, Jonathan. So if you're if you're a product person and you you want to start promoting product led growth, does that mean you're willing to accept a revenue number? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course, because course, until then, keep your mouth shut about salespeople. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think if you discount, like even the big companies that you think like, oh, they just sell themselves, the big API companies and all that, you'd be surprised how many salespeople they have. If you actually go to LinkedIn and look at it, they have like armies of AEs. And those are the companies yes. that you'd be like, yeah, they're selling yes. themselves. Uh, I give you a few examples here. I don't want to call anyone out. And it's fine because you get to a point where salespeople do their job. Salespeople are important. And they build a connection, and and you, and you need them. So PLG will never replace it. And and let's see what uh, what PLG ends up uh, being exactly. But obviously interesting. But I think the court is out uh, at least on my end on what it means and how. To how so? Let me. I'm going to flip it to you. One more question. How is PLG helping you guys? Give you know because so Scott and I just bashed on it for a little bit. So you know, talk about the things you've learned from doing PLG the right way. So I think what we learn and where it helps us and what it gets prospects to think about is like how can i show my product earlier rather than a product the definition of a product is it's walled right it's walled up if it wasn't walled it was a website what that's the difference between a product a web product and a and a and a and a, uh, and a website right the fact that it has walls but if you have walls that you need to because you need to protect the product people need to log in and, and all that good stuff communication becomes hard because that communication is also walled up 
So PLG helps people think on how they need to unlock that, how they can show people the information, how they can give the product experience earlier. And uh, to my, you know, I'm betting essentially uh, with DemoStack that the, the, that the way to do it is create that replica of your product that feel, looks and feels exactly like the real deal that then you can communicate because it doesn't have all the heaviness of a product and all the protections and all the stuff you need. So for example, if someone, you show a demo and someone asks you, hey, can I, can I get a link to play around with it? Uh, you as a rep might be thinking that, oh my God, I need to provision Okta, I need to set things up, I need to connect to Salesforce, five different things. And you know, even PLG, even if you're not doing the whole PLG and you don't bite into the whole thing, you're still thinking, how do I empower this? And for example, the demos, I can just send a link out and be like, yeah, here, show your boss. Good. And you actually get analytics about that. So you know if you're getting in and actually playing with it. So you can you can go. So that, that kind of stuff of like, how do I communicate the product? How do I do it earlier? How do I think about communicating my product in different stages? Top of funnel, bottom, uh, middle funnel, bottom of funnel. Uh, I think P I really bless the PLG for that because the, the product, putting the product first in the end, even if it's a cover for sales, I think it's, it, that's a very positive thing and something I truly believe in. So that, that piece when I it, completely buy. When, it, when he talks about it like that, Richard, it's, it softens my stance because it's not, it's not how I have heard the phrase PLG spelled out. I'm thinking of like the extreme version and Jonathan is, you know, saying, well, it's, Here's his imagining of it. And that makes a lot more sense to me. Yep. So does that make anyway. sense, Scott? Yes, it makes total sense. <laughs> awesome. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you and, and your insights on demo has just been phenomenal. Like you, you've opened up my eyes and my mind to it quite a bit. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you. This was tons of fun. Thank you for having me.